In Christianity, there are, there are two main states or realities of Jesus. The first is Jesus' state of humiliation, and the second is Jesus' state of exaltation. Now, I know those sound kind of boring, but as we're going to see from, from Simeon and Peter, these are anything but. The presentation of Jesus at the temple and the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain are really the two festival uh, days which highlight these two different realities of Jesus. The presentation of Jesus at the temple uh, is about Jesus' state of humiliation. And the transfiguration of Jesus is about his state of, of exaltation and glory. The humiliation is, is when Jesus uh, did not always or fully use his divine powers or attributes communicated to his human nature. Uh, basically, Jesus, uh, as God, didn't walk around doing miracles all the time, even though he was God. And even when he did a miracle, uh, it, it, was, it was only a glimpse of his divine power, and it was never for his own personal uh, benefit. And crucially, it was the circumstances in Jesus' life that he chose to put himself under. Jesus was God. He, he didn't have to suffer. He didn't have to suffer one bit. He could have used just, a, just the tiniest ounce of power to, to make his life a, a more glorious and, and, an, and an easy life. But yet, just look at the way that Jesus chooses to come into the world in extreme humility. Extreme humility. Already at 40 days old, he comes in the temple and he places himself under the law. According to the book of Leviticus, when a woman bore a male, a male child, she was considered unclean, uh, ritually unclean, for seven days. And on the eighth day, uh, the boy was circumcised. And the mother would stay home for another 33 days. And then at 40 days, the mother and the father would come to the temple for the rite of purification or cleansing, which included the offering of a sacrifice, a lamb, or if you were poor, Two turtle doves. And so this means that, that God, Almighty God, is born into the poorest and lowliest of families. Because Mary and Joseph offer two turtle doves, the offering of the poor. But that actually brought a lamb, too. Their lamb was Jesus, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world by his death on the cross. And this really is the greatest way that Jesus humbled himself by his suffering and death. And it's at this moment when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple and present him there that, that Simeon, who had been told by the Holy Spirit to, to go to the temple, sees Jesus. Nothing special about him. He's just a, a poor, poor, baby boy. But Simeon says something astounding. He says, Lord, you now dismiss your servant in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, if I had been there, my first thought would be, Simeon, are you okay? I mean, I mean you're an old man. Are you sure your eyes are, are working right? This is just a lowly baby boy. 
a lowly baby from Bethlehem. But Simeon saw not just with his eyes and experience, but saw with the eyes of faith that this, this little baby was the exalted and glorious God who had hidden himself in humility. Simeon believed that he was holding heaven in his hands. And so upon recognizing that God and heaven had come into the flesh, Simeon desired to depart from everything he experienced in this world, including including that moment, and to be with God in the holy mountain of heaven. The transfiguration is really the exact opposite. Peter, James, and John see the glory of Jesus the exaltation of Jesus. He is transfigured in front of them. And upon experiencing it, they want to stay there. Now there's an interesting way that that Matthew records this. All the verbs here are passive. Our English translation says Jesus was transfigured in front of them. His face was shining like the sun. Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. So it wasn't as if Moses and Elijah had had just flown down from heaven to be there. But they were there. And they were communicating with Jesus. And they were there. And and now Peter, James, and John could actually see that they were there. And it also wasn't something unique that was happening to Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus was being given some special power. Or that Jesus was all of a sudden becoming God in his glory. No, this was his reality all along. It had just been hidden. This wasn't a change in Moses and Elijah, nor was it really a change in Jesus. What changed was the perspective of Peter, James, and John. Suddenly they could see with their eyes the reality of what had been there the entire time, but had been hidden. Peter, James, and John could now see that Jesus is God in all his glory. And furthermore, they are witnessing the communion of saints, or at least a glimpse of it, with Moses and Elijah as representative of the entire Old Testament and and everyone that had come before them. Do you understand what this is? This is a glimpse of heaven being given to men on earth. The glory of God and the communion of saints. And these three disciples, and Peter especially, hadn't recognized who Jesus was all along. That Jesus had always been God, but just concealed his glory. Peter's mind is on glory, and he can't understand why God would do anything that is, that is less than glorious, especially be humiliated and suffer and die. And, and he doesn't want to suffer and die. And so Peter says, uh, let's stay here. Uh, Lord, it's, it's good for us to be here in glory. If you want, I'll, I'll make her three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's stay here. But before Peter even finishes speaking, the Father says from heaven, and he speaks from a, a bright cloud with, which overshadows them. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Which is the polite Greek way of saying Peter, shut up. You have everything you need in Jesus. 
You have everything you need in Jesus. And that will be especially true as Jesus is hanging and dying on a cross. In fact, it's because of the cross that you have everything you need. Even as you experience a cross, you have everything you need. And this means something for us, too. Because we're also like Peter. We want the exaltation with none of the humiliation. We want the glory without the cross. And so we begin to wait for something similar. For God's glory. uh, for, for, For the revelation of God's glory. Some sort of experience. An emotional high. A vision or sign or just more earthly blessings. When God hasn't promised to give us any of that. And we can tend to let these things that that we see or not see dictate our faith in God. And if we happen to to experience a lot of pain or suffering, we can conclude that, that God's not actually there. But it's not that God isn't there and with us. It's just that he's hidden. God hides himself in weakness in suffering, in humble things. Imagine you've got a a light source, maybe a candle, and and there's a wall that's casting a shadow, and you happen to be on this side of the wall, and there's no way that you can get across that wall uh, because of your sin. And so you are are in the darkness. And and maybe your first thought is to, to try to move closer to that glorious light. But the closer you move to that wall, the more in darkness you are going to be. And and you can make this light as as bright as you want, but that shadow is still going to be there. In fact, it might just be amplified. The only way for you to, to, to be light and to be in this light is for this light to come into your darkness. And that's what Jesus has done. The exalted God becomes humble and he comes into our darkness to overshadow our darkness. You know, every once in a while, you, you hear someone who, who had, a, had a vision of heaven. Think twice before believing any of those. Especially if it doesn't direct you To where God is for you. In his word or in the Lord's Supper. In fact, Peter, who who did get a glimpse of heaven and thought his emotional high was was the best thing ever, the best spiritual thing ever, was put in his place and then directed back to the word of God. Hear him. And Peter would actually comment about this experience later. And we we read that in our epistle lesson for today from 2 Peter. Peter writes, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, but we also have the completely reliable prophetic word, which you do well to pay attention to it, as a lamp shining in a dark place. You don't need a a glimpse of heaven. You don't need more glory. You don't need a sign or vision from Jesus. 
All you need is to open your ears, to hear the word of God, and by faith see that God has given you all that you need. It doesn't look like much, but neither did the 40-day-old Jesus in the temple to Simeon. Jesus veils his power and his glory in humility. And I think if Peter could rephrase what he said on the Mount of Transfiguration, he would say what our psalm writer wrote in our psalm that we sang for today. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. To be where God has come into our darkness. I've already said this morning that the historical name for today is Candlemas. The day that we recognize that Jesus is the light of the world and and the legend that developed there uh, in Europe about lighting your candles and and if if your church is so bright that an animal outside sees its shadow, uh, that it's a taunt to winter to come back again. But there's an old poem associated with Candlemas, and you can hear hints of it in our Groundhog's Day tradition. If Candlemas be fair and bright, come winter, have another flight. If Candlemas brings clouds and rain, go winter and come not again. In other words, if you realize by faith how bright Jesus is, and how even in his humility he has all the glory of God, and even now when he comes to you in humility, in mere word, in water, and bread and wine, it doesn't matter if winter returns. It doesn't matter what dark things come upon you in your life. It doesn't matter what happens to you and what evil things happen to you in your life. Because you have the most important thing. You have the light of Jesus. And no one can take that away from you. If you see your salvation in Jesus, and not just, not just metaphorically, but, but visibly here at the altar... And you hold in your hands the humble Jesus in his flesh and blood. Even with death near, you could say like Simeon, Let your servant depart in peace according to your, because my eyes have seen your salvation. Because you have the gifts of the exalted and glorified God in humble means, which strengthens you and keeps you in the one true faith until you are brought to glory. And if you stop talking and reveling in all the things that you should do for Jesus to make your life a heaven on earth, or all the experiences you think you need, like Peter, and if you just stop and, and hear him, that as you hear Jesus speak through the voice of your pastor, not telling you all the things that you should do, but of all that Jesus has done for you, and of what Jesus has given to you, that he has brought heaven to you, through the forgiveness in him. And then when you descend from your mountain, however high you're on, to your mountain, to the valley, even to the valley of the shadow of death, even that cannot cover the light you have in Jesus. Jesus, because he has, he has put himself into our darkness, is the light that overcomes every shadow. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, 
is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.